is taken from Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 53, and can be found on page 1062 of the Bibles. Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you, uh, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, not, still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses um, 1 to 11, and can be found on page 1155 of your um, Bibles next to you. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bill and Helen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these two amazing passages, taking us back to the heart of what we believe. Lord, would you open our hearts now by your Holy Spirit. Open our ears that we might hear your word to us Open our minds that we might understand and our hearts that we might respond to you and give glory to you in our lives. Amen. Ten days ago, I went to a very wonderful funeral. Perhaps seems a bit of a uh, contradiction in terms, but this was a lovely, lovely funeral service for someone who was very loved and whose life was full of Jesus and very confident in him. It was a funeral of a lady called Margaret Turner, who was the wife of um, Tony, the Reverend Tony Turner, who was vicar of St. Jude's between 1974 to 1986. So stood not here, but there, up there in the pulpit, preaching the word of God, um, and living it out with his wife, Margaret, for uh, some 12 years amongst us. A number of you, like me, visited her at the Rowans during her last month and brought away significant memories of Margaret which will live with you. Our last memories of someone turn out to be very significant, don't they? For better or for worse. And particularly, the last things they say. Apparently, Nostradamus predicted Tomorrow at sunrise, I will no longer be here. And he was right. He died. Marie Antoinette stepped on her executioner's foot, approaching the guillotine. Her last words were, sorry, sir. Johnny Ace, an R&B singer, I gather, died in 1954 while playing with a pistol during uh, the break in his concert set. His last words were, I'll show you this won't shoot. Got that one wrong. John Wayne died at the age of 72 in LA. He turned to his wife and said in words that I can't possibly imitate, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. Great last words. When Misner was on his deathbed, a priest said to him, I'm sure you want to talk, talk to me. Misner replied, why should I want to talk to you? I've just been speaking with your boss. Surgeon Joseph Henry Green was checking his own pulse as he lay dying, counting out the pulse. His last words stopped. Which reminds me of the vicar who was visiting a dying parishioner all hooked up to various machines um, at his uh, bed in the hospital ward. Uh, he approached the man um, knelt down beside him to pray with him. 
The man looked very agitated, but he got an oxygen mask on, so he couldn't say anything. So he reached for a, a, a pad and a pen, and he, and he wrote something down, and he, he tore it off and handed it to the, to the vicar. And the vicar was praying, took it and put it in his pocket and carried on praying. After a while, the man calmed down, and, and later he died. And uh, at the funeral, the vicar was uh, describing this very moving scene and um, suddenly remembered the piece of paper and it was still in his pocket. He put his hand in, he said, he wrote his last words and gave them to me. I wonder what they say. And he opened up the scrumpled piece of paper and he read out to the congregation, you're standing on my oxygen tube. Preach your way out of that one. Well, Jesus wasn't under any such stress as he formed his last words for his disciples. Words carefully chosen to help and to guide them in the days ahead when he'd gone. He told them, we hear, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. Powerful, significant, memorable last words for his disciples. Four things he told them. The Christ will suffer. The Christ will rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached by you. You are my witnesses. Fourthly, wait until you've been clothed with power. These are the last words of the risen Christ to his disciples, according to Luke. And his resurrection would be absolutely central, core to their experience in the future. Because Jesus predicted he would rise again. He saw it coming in advance. Secondly, because they met Jesus. They heard him say these words after he'd risen. They touched him. They watched him eat, and the fish disappeared. He was alive. He was not a ghost. He was not a, a, an illusion. He wasn't a hallucination. He was real and alive after he had died. And because his re resurrection gave to them the excitement, the motivation, the energy, the confidence, the authority to take his good news out to the world, his good news of forgiveness. Because it was the same spirit who had raised him from the dead, that spirit of incredible power, unbelievable power, which would empower them in their um, witness to him to speak and to act in his name. Because having experienced Jesus' resurrection, they wouldn't be afraid in the future of any lethal hostility towards them because they knew that he lived, so they too would live. Because, ultimately, they knew that Jesus had invited them to share his resurrection with him. As he said at their last supper together, do not let your hearts be troubled Trust in God, trust also 
in me. I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you also may be there. Well, Paul's preaching, teaching, and living was also intensely focused on the resurrection of Jesus. I had a quick look. I found at least 40 references in Paul's writings to the resurrection. Not surprising. Because he too had met Jesus after his resurrection. After he rose again. Well, Paul has several uh, near-death experiences in one prison or another which tend to focus the mind and gave him the opportunity of writing to his churches with um, distilled versions of his preaching, of, his, of the good news, the gospel that he was sharing with them. One of them comes in Philippians. He says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In one phrase, everything that he wanted to say about himself and to those who are listening. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Well, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, we have another one of them. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I have preached to you, which you have received, and on which you have taken your stand. I could just as easily be saying these same words to you. You know the good news that I preached to you two weeks ago on Easter Sunday morning. You know the good news that I've been preaching week after week these last nine years. By this gospel, you have been saved. If you hold firmly to the word which I have preached, otherwise you have believed in vain. So what is this gospel, this good news which Paul and I have preached to you? about Jesus. Well, here it is from Paul. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter, and to the twelve, and to more than five hundred at a time, and to James, and to all the apostles, and last of all, to me also, said Paul. Paul, the persecutor of the church, feels he doesn't even deserve to be called an apostle. But the grace of God to him was not without effect. It transformed and changed his life. It brought him forgiveness. It brought him sight. It brought him understanding. It brought him eternal life in the presence of the Jesus that he had spurned. And in all that God had achieved through him in planting churches and preaching the gospel around the known world, it was, Paul says, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So here's Paul's version of the good news. Christ died. It was for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose again. Paul met the risen Christ and experienced his forgiveness. And God's grace has empowered him to transform him and use him powerfully to preach the good news. It's the same good news message as Jesus spoke his last words to his disciples. Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again to give us life. We receive his forgiveness and experience his risen life. And we live it out and preach it to others 
by the power of the Spirit. Those four parts of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again to give us life. We receive forgiveness and experience his risen life. And we live it out and preach it to others by the power of his Spirit. This is the gospel, says Paul. The good news that I have preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again to give us life. We receive that life and forgiveness for, the, for our sins and we live it out and preach it to others by the power of the Spirit. By this gospel you have been saved if you hold firmly to the word that we preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Well, if you feel you haven't properly heard this good news yet, kind of unpacked in a way that you can understand, if you aren't quite clear what it is, if you want a chance to hear it again and to respond to it, then please let me give you an invitation at the end of the service to our Alpha course, which is starting in a couple of weeks' time, starting on April the 19th. Wonderful food, interesting company, and an opportunity to ask any question you like, no matter how hard or how simplistic they may seem to you. Don't go away without one of these invitations. If, on the other hand, you've heard and responded to Christ's gospel, preached by Paul and by the rest of us, by this gospel you are saved if you hold on to it firmly to the word that we've preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Don't have believed in vain. Don't let go of it. Don't listen to the accusations of the evil one. Don't be overwhelmed by the miseries of this world that we live in. Don't be driven off by the scorn of others. Hold firmly to Christ's good news, his word to you. Christ died for your sins. Christ rose again to give you life. You receive forgiveness and life in him and you are called to live it out and to preach it to others by the power of the Holy Spirit well then whether it was Nicky Gumbel or it was Tony Turner or John Byrne or Albert Braithwaite whether it was John Gray or Nigel Bennett or Jit or myself or anybody else who preached this good news to you You've heard this good news. This is what we preach. And this is what you have believed. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the, um, the band to lead into their whole set, including the two songs that I've cut out before the sermon. So give us all three songs and lead us and finish with You Led Aside Your Majesty. I'm going to invite you to sit, not to stand, and to let these words speak to you. And then if at some point you want to stand and make your profession of faith, standing firmly in what you have believed, then at some point during that whole set of worship, then stand in testimony to your faith in the Lord Jesus.